Have you ever been mugged? Yes. How did you? Did I? Did you? Did you? Was that a random question? Yes. Did you know that about me? No. Yeah. Joe, how do you say it in Japanese? And how do you say it in English? Thanks, man. Welcome to season two of Writers Read the Early Shit, celebrating the lopsided pleasures of pre-developed, over-early, unripe work, one podcaster at a time. I'm your host, the long and wasted Jason M.D., down in the groove tonight, as always, in Gifu Rock City, Japan. My special guest this episode is a former illustrator turned podcaster whose artistic work has appeared in various interesting spaces, like the 2004 All-Star Game and comedian Margaret Cho's Revolution Tour. He was also the portrait artist for Time Out New York's Hot Seat Weekly interview column for over five years. In 2016, he co-founded the Fire & Water Podcast Network, where he hosts numerous shows such as Fade Out, Treasury Cast, MASH Cast, and my favorite, Pod Dylan. He's interviewed directors, actors, authors, illustrators, and other notable figures from the worlds of music, movies, TV, and comic books. While he does write regularly, he doesn't think of himself as a capital W writer, though Ironically enough, writing is the only thing he's ever won an award for. He owns over 30 different copies of W, that's capital W, Somerset Mom's The Razor's Edge. Once had his table manners criticized by Harlan Ellison, felt all alone in a crowded sports bar in San Diego, saw The Omen at age five at a drive-in, and then 45 years later got to tell that to Omen director Richard Donner. And he's the only person I've ever heard use the word vituperative correctly or at all. He offered up his innocence and got repaid with scorn. Distinguished listeners, it's the freewheeling Rob Kelly. Hi, Rob. Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate being the first guest of season two, because as we typically know with shows, season two is never as good as season one. And that's where people start saying, ah, show's not as good as it used to be. So thank you oh. so much for letting me be the first guy through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, because now we can buck that trend. People can say that's way better than season one. Thanks Let's to Rob so. Kelly. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you so much. I've been a big fan of your show. I haven't missed an episode. Uh, I do feel a little unqualified to be here because, as you mentioned in the intro, I don't think of myself as a writer in any real meaningful sense. If And then for no other reason, it just took me until today to realize that the acronym for your show is RIGHTS. <laughs> I didn't it never taunt on me until this moment. I'm like, oh, it's WRT. Oh, wow. So I just feel drastically unqualified to be here, but I appreciate the invite nonetheless. Okay. Well, here we go. Pay attention <laughs> from now on. Uh, so I have a couple of questions for you before we get sure. to some of your early work, Rob. Number one, why'd you go electric? <laughs> I just, you know, <laughs> I don't like to be owned by any one group, man. Okay. Fair enough. Um, can you complete this Harlan Ellison quote? <laughs> <laughs> the two most abundant things in the universe are. Oh, is that a real quote of his? Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that quote. I'm sorry. See, I'm already failing right in the get right out of the already, gate. Ready, man. The two most abundant things in the universe are hydrogen and stupidity. That's oh, from Harlan well, Ellison. That, I, which, that makes sense. I, I had that in a notebook for ages. Uh, 
was only vaguely aware of who Harlan Ellison was. And then I thought, hey, wait a second. Uh, when you mentioned that he'd criticize your table manners, what happened there? <laughs> well, okay. I'll try to tell the story as briefly as possible. Many years ago, I was attending a Comic-Con, and he was there, and um, he well, I was friends with... Uh, people, I was friends with uh, two writers, uh, Tony Isabella, the famous comic book writer, who created Black Lightning. Everybody's familiar with that character. Mm, yeah. One done lots of other comic book work. And another writer who is a, a, also a, um, a lawyer named Bob Ingersoll, who has kind of like been on the margins of the comic book world for many years. But anyway, they're friends with Harlan. They've been friends for a long time. And I was friends with them through a friend of mine from art school. And at the Comic-Con, they were like, hey, Harlan is having dinner today. We're having dinner with Harlan in the ballroom or wherever we're having. Do you guys want to come? And I'm like, you know, oh, my God, you know, it's Harlan Ellison. You know, how do you not want to do that? Now, I realized at the same time, uh, my I had just met a woman uh, not that long ago, and we started to date, and we were living in separate cities, and but we were going to be at this Comic-Con together, which was, I think, the first time we were going to be in the same space after meeting that first time and you know we wanted to spend all our time together but i was like look i can't pass up dinner i mean with harlan ellison i want to spend time with you but this is harlan ellison so she was not super thrilled about that but it was like all right whatever so we <laughs> we go to the ballroom and we're sitting there at this table and it's tony and bob and my friend tom and me and some other people harlan sits down looks at the assembled people and uh, I was not introduced to him at all. And neither was, I think, my friend Tom or whatever and, and some other people. But Harlan takes a look at the group and he goes, this is the best I could do, huh? Oh, dear. Which is, already, you know, we're already off to a good start. Um, and I'm at the end of the table. I'm far away. I'm as far away from Harlan as I kind of can be. And, you know, he's just being very Harlan. You know, he's he's holding court. He's at the head of the table and everyone is just sort of listening and he's saying all these things and they serve us, you know, rolls and uh, butter. And I cut open the roll and I start putting butter in it and I'm eating it. And he stops his story mid story and says something to the effect of where did you learn to butter bread? And I'm like, what? And he's like, where did you learn that? And I, I, you know, I literally don't know what he's talking about. And then he instructs me that the proper way to eat a buttered roll is to tear off a hunk of bread, butter it and eat that and then continue. And I don't know. I'd never learned that. <laughs> and the fact that he did this in front of a group, I was, you know, completely mortified. And at that point, the woman I'd been dating was having dinner with her friends at the other end of the room. And I longingly wished I had been there <laughs> instead. And, you know, as the dinner went on, he said more and more sort of insulting things to people. And I sort of started to figure out that he was kind of doing a bit that he was like being Harlan Ellison, you know, capital H. Character. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He was playing a role to a certain extent. And I was like, OK, I kind of get what he's doing. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't have time for this. You know what I mean? Like, what, you know, what? And, you know, I, I didn't walk away from that dinner feeling shame that I was like some sort of troglodyte who didn't know how to butter bread. But at the same time, it was just like, what a waste of an evening. You know, I didn't get to talk to the guy. I didn't get to say anything interesting. I just had him insult me. And he said some other insulting things. And I just said, well, all right, whatever. Brilliant writer, obviously. But 
also a professional pain in the ass in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, that's, I've never been that awed by fame. Just, I, it's never been that big of a thing for me, but it was one of those lessons of like, you know what? Don't, don't go to this just for the sake of this person being there mm-hmm. because it's probably not going to mean a whole lot to you. I mean, if, if it was somebody that would mean, you know, not that I didn't like Harlan's work sitting in the edge of forever. And you know, obviously all the books he's written, but from now on, I, after that, I was like, I will only really go after somebody who interests me particularly, not just because they're a big name, because this is what could happen. Yeah. Did it, did the perfect retort pop into your mind three days later? Did you wake up in a cold sweat? I should have said. I I don't remember what it was that I came up with, but I did come up with something later on that I had said, oh, well, I wish I had it. I wish I had just had the uh, the the guts yeah. to just stuff it back in his face. Because I think in a weird way, he would have respected that if I had just said something to the effect of, well, you know, Harlan, but, 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 you know, just kind of being like, shut the F up, Harlan. Yeah. I think he might have been like, oh, this guy, I like this guy now. You know, I think, but the fact that I kind of shrank in my seat a little. So, yeah, when Harlan passed away a bunch of years ago, that was my, you know, I was like, well, that's my story, but I'm going <laughs> to. Okay. Next question, Rob. What is it with you in the razor's edge? Yeah. Well, okay. When I got out of art school, um, I was, cause I went to school to learn how to do comic books. Cause that was like my whole life to that point. And I, I love comic books. I love the medium. I love everything about them. But I, 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 at, at that age, uh, 21, I was a little insecure about the fact that I had read so little of like actual literature. You know what I mean? Like I just spent my whole life just reading basically comic books. And I was like, I, I want to be a little more read than this. And this was back in a time when there were bookstores and there was a bookstore not far from the house. And I spent like my first summer home when I was just working part-time at a video store and trying to get art jobs unsuccessfully. And I just went to a bookstore and I just started buying like the classics. You're just wanting to, and, and, you know, trying to see, uh, is there anything I like? I read Moby Dick. I read all of Moby Dick. I'm very proud of that. I got through all nice like the, that, that middle 200 page section where he's just talking about whale blubber. You know, I got this guy. I did it. I read it. Um, I read like Connecticut Yankee Panthers court. I read, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of you know, whatever, like the classics are read. Did Badger you have Courage. a checklist where you thought I should get through this stuff? It's no, important. No, I just went down to the bookstore and looked and said, I've never read that. Let me try that. You know, so I read some modern things, but I read a lot of older things and I read the razor's edge and I don't even know why I picked that. Probably, I know I had heard of the Bill Murray movie. Mm-hmm. I had not seen it, but I was at that level. I was like, I love Bill Murray. I guess there was probably some tangential, like, well, he did a movie version of this. Maybe it's funny. I don't know. Um, and I read it and it really um, spoke to me. There was something, a person about the way it's, have you ever read it? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Okay. Um, something about the way it was written and the fact that the main character is not in the book for large chunks of the story. And he kind of comes back and tells little bits and, you know, drips and drabs about what he's been experiencing. I found that to be very interesting. And the idea of someone going on a spiritual retreat uh, fascinated me. It's not something I've ever done. It's not something I will, you know, most likely ever do, but there was something I just found to be, uh, you know, really, really um, 
resonant about it. And if I want to plumb the depths of my psych of, of my psyche, I guess, which is, this is the show for that. Mm. You know, my friends were all my high school friends at that point were kind of like already getting good jobs and getting married and like starting to have children or not, not at 21, but they were headed that way. And I was going on a very different path. I wanted to be like a freelancer and I was heading out for a very uncertain future. And I, I'm sure I was nervous about that because I felt like, you know, geez, am I, am I, is this the right path for me? It feels like it, but maybe, you know, whatever. And a guy who just kind of went off the beaten path away from the rest of the, the people in his social circle, I guess had some resonance to me. And I just absolutely loved the book. It was by far my most favorite thing that I read out of that summer. And then I went back to it. I read it like a year later or something. And there were little bits. I noticed there were little bits and pieces that I hadn't understood on the first pass that I now got on the second pass. And I had, I don't think I'd ever read a fiction book twice. And I was like, wow, this really worked just as well the second time. And then I just got in the habit of reading it every so often, every couple of years, I would dig it out and read it again. And I kept, as I got older, I felt like the book was going with me. You know, I was like, Oh, I'm understanding more and more of this. Mm. As I get older. And then at some point, I don't even remember when, maybe the 90s, I, it was, it, this happened, uh, two examples happened almost simultaneously, which felt like a weird fate kind of thing. One was a friend of mine. Um, I went over to her house and she showed me her, uh, her favorite book was Lolita. And she collected all the different editions of Lolita. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I never really even thought about that. She had like 10 different versions of it. And then around the same exact time, I read an article or I saw it somewhere. Couldn't have been online because this was still the 90s, really. But like I saw something where Forrest J. Ackerman, you know, the head of Famous Monsters of Filmland, he loved Frankenstein. His favorite book was Frankenstein. He collected every edition of Frankenstein available, every foreign language version, every illustrated version and there was this picture of his collection and it was like an entire because you would imagine how many versions of frankenstein there are mm. he had an entire bookcase of frankenstein and i was like that's really interesting and as someone who is i i think um at least at the time a collector by nature that appealed to me and so i found like a second edition of the razor's edge and then it just i just started buying them and now I have like 30 of them and they're on, I have them, uh, I have some, I sent you the picture. I have uh, some shelves installed here in the studio and I, that's where I keep them all. And so now, because I've read the book so many times, now it's more a matter of just getting interesting, weird editions of it. Mm. And in fact, in between us planning on doing this and recording it, uh, some friends of ours just came back from a trip to Europe and they brought me a French edition of The Razor's Edge, which they found at a bookstore. So I added that to my collection. So I'm, I mean, I don't know French, but I have it, you know, and so now I'm super excited that I have a French edition. So I, uh, well, when we started talking about, about this and you mentioned, and you sent me that picture, I thought, right. <laughs> so I, I got it and I started reading about two thirds of the way through. Now. Oh, wow. Okay. I was hoping to finish it before, but it's a little longer than I thought. Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying um, it? I am. Uh, I wasn't. I'd never read mom before and I wasn't sure what to expect. And it's been a long time since I've read 
sort of that kind of book. Yeah, I mean, Somerset Mom is a character in his own book. I think the first sentence is, I've never begun a novel with such trepidation or something like yep. that, you know. Yep. Uh, so it's structurally really interesting that, you know, he he's, like you said, he's not there for so much of the action. It's reported yep. out of sequence sometimes, or yep. I'll tell you later what happened here. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but I read for style most of the time and mm. sentence by sentence, it's really pleasurable. There are, there are definitely parts of the book that are very dated uh, from his sort of point of view about things, but it's that character of Larry Darrell who yeah. goes off to the spiritual retreat and comes back and just, we're, we're hearing his point of view as told through Somerset mom. And I, there's something about that. I just find so compelling. The fact that you're just getting these little bits and pieces of this guy's story. And it's, you know, as, then it, the story moves on to these other characters and you're kind of like, all right, whatever. I don't Isabel, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. I want to hear more about Larry. And the fact that he just keeps doling it out in these little bits. And then at the end, then, then you get a ton of it is, is a, big attraction to me so yeah it's it's, to me it's as i get older it just i keep finding new things to it so yeah it's it's my well i can't imagine uh i've only read a handful of other fiction novels more than once and this 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 one at my you know my 30th pass Hmm. it's just always going to be my favorite I know you're getting married later this year. Is that right? In October? October, Yes. Okay. I don't know if you and your lady are planning on kids, but if you did have fraternal twins. Oh, my God. A boy and a girl, and you have to name them both after somebody from a Dylan song. Any name from a Dylan song, what would you pick? I would name the girl Sarah. Mm. That's easy. Uh, cause I just love that name, that, that song of his Sarah is just, that is one I'm, that is, I love that song of yeah, his, um, I just think it's a beautiful heart rending kind of song. Um, boy is a boy's name. I mean, God, he's, you know, um, what, he, what he's done? Like, yeah. Oh, geez. God, I feel, but I'm drawing blank. I, this is Bob Dylan questions. I don't have good answers prepared. I mean, uh, you know, if I really wanted to just be cruel to the kid, I name him Alias, but that's a terrible thing to name a child because that kid has to go through life with that alias name at that point. Kelly, I don't know. Yeah, that's... Alias. You know, I, yeah, I wouldn't right. name him. You know, anything Ned Kelly. That's a terrible. Name, you know, and nothing historical. Um, boy, yeah, he doesn't have that many male names. There's a lot of female names. There's a lot of male names. Diamond um, Joe. Diamond, yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah, you know, Lily, the Jack of Hearts. I mean, we're gonna, you know, Jack of Hearts um, Kelly. That's Jack of good. Hearts Kelly. Yeah, that'd be, you know, <laughs> uh, boy, yeah, I don't like maybe Gregory after Gregory Peck from Brownsville Girl. That'd be kind of good. I like Gregory. I think that's a good name. Gregory Kelly. Gregory, yeah, Gregory Peck bad. Kelly. Gregory that'd be, Peck. Pretty cool. Kelly. That is. There pretty you go. Cool. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're. I don't know if careful is the right word, but I know you sort of you pay attention to to the language that you use and uh, like duplicative and that you care about words. Um, what are your favorite and least favorite words and or phrases? Ooh, that's like, geez, Jason. Um, 
favorite words. I love, I love cue words, quixotic, quiet, mm. questionable. Uh, yeah. There's something about the sound that I mm. find to be uh, very pleasurable for some reason. Um, Querulous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's just something about the, the, that, that, that word there's again just that that syllable that sound is uh, just mm. very pleasurable to my ear um i mean i i love i will say just as a on a, on a personal uh, personal experience i love the word temerity mm. um because uh and i used it because okay i i work at uh cbs television and so does my uh fiance um and back when we were in an office we work from home now but when we were in an office we shared we were we were several cubicles away from one another and at the time we were seeing each other but no one in the office knew that we kept it pretty pretty quiet but i used to we were all in you know a bunch of cubicles and you know we would have everybody would in the group would have conversations and so if you were you know of a certain volume the surrounding five or six people could hear the conversations. So at a certain point I knew that she could hear me. And so I would say certain things to, I know that would entertain her, but nobody knew I was doing that because nobody knew we were seeing right. each other. Yeah. But anyway, what I found out later was, was that um, the guy that was sitting in front of me made some gesture, made some comment about me. And I, uh, in sort of mock, uh, affrontery said, you know, you have the temerity to say that to me. And he didn't know what that word meant. He didn't know what temerity meant. And uh, my fiance Kelly told me much later that she heard me use that word. And she's like that. She said that was the beginning of like, she's like, I'm falling for this guy because she loved my use of that word, uh. <laughs> you know, as opposed to saying guts, you right. know, or balls you or whatever. Balls to say, yeah. To, yeah. No, I said temerity, and there was something about the fact that she just loved it. So now that's one of my favorite words, just because it it helped inspire her to to really fall for me. So that that's that was a good <laughs> you word. never know what it's good. You never know work, right? Yeah, never know. Who would have guessed any such thing would ever uh, would ever happen? How so. about least favorite words or phrases? Um, and maybe I don't want to get you in trouble, but. Do you ever have guests on your podcast and they will trot out a least favorite word or phrase and you think, uh, and we're just getting started. We're talking about a, a big song and, and they use one of my top 10 least favorite, most hated phrases or something. And uh, here a, we go. Yeah. That's a, I don't think I've had that. I think what I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've had, I can't think of an example where someone has said something in a way that I went, Oh God. I mean, <laughs> Um, what really? I, yeah, not really. I mean, there's things where I can say, I don't agree with it, but it's not been yeah. like, oh, that's offensive. The, I, I, I won't mention, this isn't exactly the answer to your question, but I, it's sort of tangential there in the history of Bob Dylan, there was only one guest whose episode I deleted because, um, I later on saw, um, there, I, I, again, I'll get peek behind the curtain a little bit on how I do Padillon. Like, if someone reaches out to me and they want to be on the show, if they're on Twitter, um, I will do a quick scan of their Twitter page because um, 
you know, I don't, I didn't say it's not a, <laughs> it's not a blacklist or, or a litmus test, but sure. I, if I see somebody who says really hateful things, I don't want to have them on. I don't want to talk to them. I'm not interested in them. Now, 99.9% that doesn't happen. Right. And, 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 you know, and again, it's not like, I'm like, oh, if you have a different political opinion than me, you're not on the show. It's not, I'm not saying that, but there are obviously there are people we all know that, you know, you can have different political opinions, but you can also not be a massive asshole about it. Sure. And there was one person who I didn't really check very well. And, and okay, well, this is actually somewhat more connected than I thought as I'm telling the story. He started going on and on about how important it was that while we were doing the episode, going on and on about how important it was to meet Bob, to meet him. And that was like, you know, that was the most going to be the most important thing that he wanted to do. And I remember thinking, eh, like, what, why, you know, like what, that seems kind of, mm. you know, and then later on, he apparently had an opportunity to meet Bob and Bob apparently kind of didn't engage with him. And he was, he wrote me this angry email about, yeah, fuck Bob Dylan. He's a piece of shit. And I'm like, what the? He doesn't owe you anything. You know what I mean? Like, what is yeah. it? And then, so then I went on and I found the guy's Twitter and it was full of hideous invective about women, about anyone who was uh, to the to the to the left of Genghis Khan. Right. You know, it was just hideous, ugly stuff. And I thought, oh, no, how did I mess up? And and then it was so funny. Later on, I went back and saw and his Twitter account has been uh, suspended mm. uh, permanently. I'm like, well, there you go. And so I just deleted that episode entirely. So it isn't exactly an answer to your question, but I guess I get I get a little dodgy when someone puts too much focus on the man and not the music. That always mm. makes me a little because it's like he's just a person. We were talking about earlier. Yeah. He's a person like anybody else, and he makes mistakes, and he's and he's imperfect, and he, I'm sure, has moments of of being rude to people or not being what you want him to be. And to me, it's like that's not the the the, song, the 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 show is about the music, not the man. Right. And so, if you get too wrapped up in the man, I get like, mm, that's not what we're here to talk. We're here to talk about the the creative work, not the individual person. Because at a certain point, you can't, you know, whether I, I can't enjoy this Picasso painting because he. There's some bad things about because he treated women poorly. Well, all right. right. Uh, you know, I mean, whatever. So um, not whatever, but you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like you can't not you can't judge by everybody that this standard or then you won't enjoy any of it because, you know, people are imperfect. And so that when people get obsessed with with Bob, the man that always throws me again, that's not exactly answering your question. And I apologize, but I can't. No, really, right. I, I don't I don't like a lot of. um useless and we've done a little bit here maybe i don't like a lot of useless profanity mm. um i'm fine with profanity like anything else especially when it's in a show like pod dylan which is specifically for adults but i also when i hear other podcasts use it just willy-nilly it makes me like well, why are you talking like that mm. why 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 you need to say the f word six times that's not you know what i mean it just makes yeah. me feel like are you trying to be edgy? That's well, not edgy. So gritty. I, it's gritty, man. Yeah. Oh God Almighty. You know. So yeah. <laughs> that's I, another I, one. <laughs> yeah. So sort of gritty. That's a, word. yeah. That's annoying word. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm curious because for me, it's always just tired 
uh, language, cliched language. Mm-hmm. It's always the war on cliche. It's the, the shortcuts to thinking that tend to irritate me. Mm-hmm. Um, and living here, I'm sort of, to a certain extent, protected from the worst of it, I think, because if I'm not in, online, I don't hear it. But of course, things filter through on podcasts and so on. One that's yeah. been starting to bug me recently a lot is rabbit hole. I'm just tired of that phrase, rabbit hole. Oh, God, I've been using that a lot lately. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Knock it off. (laughs) Rabbit hole. It's a good name for you, Max. What have you got for us, Rob Kelly? Well, okay. I mean, I said to you off air and for leading up like I you know all your guests to this point have been like actual writers with diaries full of books and stories and I don't have any of that I can I don't I write because I have to because I don't have anyone else to do it for me uh, but that doesn't I don't think of myself as a writer because I think writers are and maybe some writer would just disagree with me on this but I think like I think of a writer as someone who's like I have something I want to express and I do it. This is my chosen medium. I don't do it that way. I'm more, it's more like the reverse and I'm, I'm going to regret this comparison, Jason, okay. that I'm about to say, and maybe we even take this out. Cause I'm going to sound like such a jerk, <laughs> but it reminds me of that. I'm sorry. I'm going to regret this. Why am I saying it? <laughs> it reminds me of that quote from Bob Dylan, where he was asked, why did he start writing songs? And he said, because there was a certain kind of song he wanted to sing but no one had written it. And he's like, well, I guess I got to write it myself. And I know I just compared myself to Bob Dylan in like 1962, which is absolutely Why <laughs> ridiculous. Not? No, go ahead. But it's, but it's that same thing where I've, I've had projects that I've wanted to do that. I'm like, well, no one there. I, well, I can't, what am I going to hire somebody to write this for me? That doesn't make any sense. So I'll just do it myself. And so therefore that means I've written a lot of things, but it doesn't, I don't think it makes me a writer. And the example we used, we talked about in the intro, is it's the only time I've ever won an award was a bunch of years ago. I and a partner did an online comic strip uh, called Ace Kilroy, which was an old timey adventure. It was done like in a newspaper strip, three panels in black and white, Monday through Saturday, and then a color strip on Sundays. And it was like the the elevator pitch, as they say, is like basically Raiders of the Lost Ark, but with monsters, where it's mm. it's the FDR hires intrepid adventurer ace kilroy to head over to uh europe to uh stop all these monsters because before he doesn't want nazi germany to get their hands on them and i no longer have the ability to really draw much anymore so i i I co-founded it with my partner dan o'connor he's a brilliant comic book artist but there was no i i don't think of myself as a writer but it was like well i I have to write it because there's no one else to write it (laughs) so i wrote it and then Oddly enough, it somehow got the attention of uh, there was I don't think the site is really much of anything anymore, but there was a a site called Geekadelphia uh, that was a Philadelphia based and they were big on supporting local artists and things like that. And they have a thing every year. Again, I don't know if they do it anymore called the Geek Awards. And it was like they did an award for like science an award for like history and pop culture. And they had a. They had a uh, comic book writer of the year award and I got nominated and it was at a museum. The, the award ceremony was at a museum and like everyone was dressed up 
it was a real thing and I won, <laughs> you know, nice I won the award and I got to give a speech and the award is a, is a uh, like Lucite robot <laughs> that lights up on the base and it's got the little geek ward and it's sitting here to my left as I'm talking about this. And it's the only time I've ever won an award. So it's so strange to me that I don't, I, I definitely think of myself as an artist. I most definitely think of myself as a podcaster, not so much as a writer, but yet it's writing is that I have an award. <laughs> the thing i have an award for i don't know man ace kilroy sounds like a humdinger is it still accessible no it is it no? it is no it ran for two seasons and then it just sort of faded out because of uh various uh, external externalities that just sort of killed it unfortunately and it's you know it, it's one of the kind of my my and you know ironically um the other thing that i'm close most closely associated with in terms of being writing was i did publish a book uh, in 2011 called Hey Kids Comics, True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack. And it is an anthology of people's stories, true life stories about their either first or at least very meaningful interactions with comic books. Mm-hmm. And uh, it features some of, I can say this because they're not my stories. It features some of the my favorite writers of all time. Um, the novelist Alan Brennert, who wrote some of the greatest comic books ever written, is in there. J.M. DeMatteis, great comic book writer. Um, a, a lot of really great people that were nice enough to contribute stories. And I published it. I self-published it. I was I wrote the intro and I edited it and put it together. And much like Ace Kilroy, it did not come out the way I hoped it would. And so that's the other thing I think I have. I, I wince slightly at even the notion of being a W capital W writer, because for various reasons, which I will not get into both Ace Kilroy and, and Hey Kids, I, I feel like are were failures in, in some regard. And those are the two things that I put the most of myself in as a quote unquote writer. And they're both kind of, to me, failures. Not Why? again, not. Um, well, Ace Kilroy because um, the it just didn't continue. I, I wanted it to continue, and it just didn't because it just got to be the the workload became too much, and market forces kind of crushed it a little in terms of the cost of getting things printed on your own. If unless you can get things printed in on a mass scale, just trying to do it on your own is very very difficult. But were you happy with the work? Yes, hmm. yes, absolutely. The I'm work proud is of not it. a failure. No, the work is not a failure. The 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 world around it um, was was a failure. And okay. then, hey kids, the reason that book bothers me is because I, as I said, I had a lot of I kind of pulled a lot of favors, where I had a lot of great people from the world of comics writing me something for free, um, and they were all nice enough to do it. And I felt like I owed these people the book to get better recognition. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. It just because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I tried to. I tried to pitch it to agents, and it didn't go anywhere. And I tried to get it, you know, and it just went nowhere. And I self published it, and it just kind of went. And 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 there's, I, I there's issues with the actual printing of it in terms of the some people that were handling it trying to help me do it, and they messed it up in some regard and lied to me about the way certain things were going to be done, and yeah. so it's. It just, it, it, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody's been there. It just, it, it's not, it didn't get, it didn't get the the return in terms of either sales or inch or awareness that I think my contributors deserved. 
I'm still not happy with the book because it got put out again. I, you know, I don't want to start dragging people on a show or whatever, but, it, but it, it, it got it. Yeah. There were people involved that, that, that damaged it in a way that I didn't have the ability to control. Okay. But what, you and know, that is enormously Stoics frustrating. say, you know, you, you can't worry about things that are outside of your control. The, the things that you were in control of, are you, are you still satisfied with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm proud of the stories and I'm, I'm proud of the relationships I had with these people that they were nice enough to do it for me. And some of the stories are absolutely fantastic. I mm. just, I didn't, I didn't have enough. Uh, I didn't have enough. Well, let's use that word again. Temerity. Uh, I, didn't, mm. I didn't have enough. I'm starting to fall in love with you. Rob. Yeah, thank Kelly. you. Thank yeah. you, Jason. I've spoken for it. Thank you. Um, oh. But I, I don't oh. think I had enough in me to when I when I knew that this person was kind of messing it up to step up and go, wait, stop it. Hold stop on. No, that. we're not doing this. Yeah, because I was so happy to get it published that I let things slide that I should not let mm. slide. Mm. And now when I look every so often, someone will say, hey, I bought a copy and I, I love it. And I just go, OK, thank you. But I kind of wince a little because it's just like eh, it's it's just it's like a it's like a smile with like three missing teeth, you know, in the front or something. It's just like a damaged artifact. That's another th damaged artifact. Yeah. That's another thing that there should be a word for like you, the way you just put it, you're so happy that it's happening that you sort of go, great. Okay. okay. And they say, well, we, we can't do this. We can't use the paper that you, okay. You know, that's all right. I'm, yeah. You know. Right. It, death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Yeah. It's all this sort of, yeah. Back to your early stuff there. Okay, well, uh, like I said, I, I don't think of myself as a writer, and I don't have a lot of that early stuff. So I, again, I feel very insecure that I'm even on the show. But the best examples I, I have is back when I um, I went freelance uh, in 2003. I was officially working for myself, just doing illustration. So I was home all the time, and I had a lot of free time. And I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take advantage of all I want to work. I want to get every project done I've ever wanted to do because I have the time now. I'm not work. I'm not going to an office. So let's do it. And one of the things I always wanted to do was um, I, and I forgive me, Jason, I don't know how familiar you are with the world of comic books at all. So I don't want to over explain or under explain what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but are you familiar with, with what a treasury comic is? Do you know what that is at all? I do. And I don't. Okay. Maybe, maybe for our listeners. Right. right, Yeah. Cause most people are not going to know what this is. So in the seventies as comic books were, were desperate to hold on to their diminishing uh, audience, they were trying all different things to capture kids. Nichols. Are you referring to Muhammad Ali versus Superman? Superman. Yes. They, they were trying different formats and one of the formats they tried were called treasury comics where they were oversized comics. They, uh, the normal comic yeah, book is yeah. like seven by 10 or whatever it is. These were 10 by 13 and a half. So they're big comics. And as a child, I absolutely love these things. They Me were too. reprinted a lot of stuff about stuff in the golden age stuff that I'd never seen. And I, they're, they're my favorite format of all to the point that I have a, a whole show about them called church recast. And it's just, I've gotten rid of most of my comics over the years, but all my treasures, I still have, they're on the shelf, same shelf as the, the award. Have you done a show on the Muhammad Ali versus Superman? Yes. Yeah, oh, I did that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did it with a, a boxing aficionado. So it's a, it's a really okay. good episode. Uh, actually, Michael, Michael Cronenberg, who's been on Pod Dylan. So uh, he's ah. got some similar interests as me. Only connect. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but anyway, 
I was like, you know what? There is no database online of treasury comics. There just isn't. There is no one place to say, what, was this ever done as a treasury? What, what Marvel treasuries exist? What DC treasuries? There just isn't one spot that you can find. And I was like, well, I, all right, I'll do that. I'll, I'll build it. Once again, it doesn't exist. I'll do it myself mm. because I want, and it. I created this site called treasurycomics.com. It's unfortunately no longer um, up anymore, but I scanned all of my treasuries. And for those of you who have a computer scanner, computer scanners are small. So I had to scan every book twice, <laughs> top part, bottom part, stitch it together in Photoshop. So it was a, you know, in labor intensive yes. to do this. But anyway, I had to write entries for every book, you know, like, okay, 1979 features these five stories, blah, 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 blah. And this was 2003. So it's not like the internet was, was new, but it was still kind of early. You know, it was certainly mm. pre-social media. And I just did not think about that the stuff I was writing was potentially going to be seen by real human beings. I, you know what I mean? Like I knew it on a, you knew it on an intellectual level, of course, but there was something where it just felt like it was unreal or something. So I made jokes that I would never make nowadays. And I can give, I can give two examples. Okay. One, one is um, there is a inker, a famous comic book inker um, named Vince Coletta. Are you familiar with him at all? No. Okay. Vince Coletta had a long career in comics from the, like the fifties all the way through into like the two thousands. And what Vince Coletta was, he worked almost exclusively for not exclusively. He worked a lot, mostly for Marvel, but also for DC. But what he was famous for was that he was fast, that you could hand him a whole book in a weekend and he'd bring it back. And unfortunately, most people regard Vince Coletta as one of the worst inkers ever to touch a comic book because he wanted to get it done fast. He would erase pencils. He would erase backgrounds. There's a lot of great comic books that are ruined because he yanked them. And there's, there's a whole movement that people say, Oh no, he wasn't that bad. Whatever. That's like, all oh, the Star Wars prequels are actually good. No, he was terrible. Now <laughs> the reason there, you know, I mean, you could argue, well, he only ever got handed stuff with a short deadline, but, but that's a whole separate argument. But anyway, I made a joke and I can think about the century uh, for a Marvel treasure. I think Thor, the mighty Thor, where I made it a joke about the stories were, you know, drawn by Jack Kirby and ruined by Vince Coletta. And then I put in parentheses, he's dead now, so he can't come after me. And a year or so later, I got an email from a relative of Vince Coletta. <laughs> oh dear. Who said that I wrote an incredibly tasteless, cruel joke and they didn't appreciate it. And I saw that and I I wrote that joke and forgot about it. And then that person reminded me of it. And I just felt like, oh, I'm an asshole because that's a terrible thing to write. You know what I mean? And I would never make that joke today for any reason. But it was weird. I just and it was so strange because I had written the joke, put it up on the site and forgot about it. I hadn't gone back to it. And then I go back to it a year later, a year and a half later. And it was almost like, who wrote that? Well, it was me. The, I wrote who is, it. Who is the jerk? Yeah. Who's the jerk like, that wrote oh. that? You know, and it was and I immediately apologized and said to this person, I'm very sorry. I have no excuse. It was a cheap joke. I don't even remember writing it, but I did. It's taken down. But I just felt like what a what a dick to write that. 
because it's the kind of thing you would say over a couple of beers yeah. with your with your crew, right? Ah, but not not for public dissemination. What was his the guy's name? I forget. Vince Coletta. Yeah. Ru- yeah. Well, the ruined part, the ruined part, I thought, okay, that's right. But joking that he's dead and can't come dead, after me. So he can't get me. Like, what? I never really go, ha ha. Yeah. Jelly. Yeah. That's and terrible. Then move on to the next thing. I just didn't have the, 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 the mental connection of this. No, a potential person is going to read this. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one I made was uh, there was a treasury that was an independently produced one. And the cover to this independent treasury was drawn by a guy named Ken Ken Landgraf and clearly he swiped it from another comic book cover published by DC. I mean, if you, if you take both, you see that he just traced it. It's the figures are the same. Everything's the same. Now I went to art school and uh, one of the first things that my, one of our teachers told us uh, like literally first day as he walked in the classroom before I almost think, before he even introduced himself, he said, I'm going to get a rule for you. Never draw what you can copy. Never copy what you can trace. Never trace what you can cut out and paste down. And to all of us on our first year of art school, there were all these artists were like, oh, my God, yeah, how oh, dare you? You hack. And then it took about six months to be like, yeah, this shit's just got to get done. And, you know, that's the reality of being a comic book artist. Some of the greatest comic book artists ever to work in the medium have traced things and copied them because sometimes you just got to get it done. Hmm. And so anyway, Ken Landgraf clearly copied this cover. Wow. What a sin, you know, but, but of course I being, but of course, yeah, but of course I being, you know, uh, the comic book guy had to be like, yeah, this is clearly copied from Jonah Hex number three. And I made some jokes (laughs) about Hex. Yeah. I made some joke about Ken Landgraf, you know, like stealing and like, I don't even remember the joke I made, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, hey, keep your comic covers away from Ken Landgraf before he copies it again or something. Just a stupid, dumb joke. And then I get an email from Ken Landgraf. Oh. And he was very insulted, as he should have been. And actually was really quite nice because he he wrote and said, um, because I was doing interviews for the site at that point, and he said something to the effect of, you know, I'd love to do an interview with you, but you got to take that joke down. And I hmm. was like, Oh my God, of course. You know, I mean, I don't even need to, I don't need to, to trade on this. I'll just take the joke down. Yeah. Cause it was a terrible. And so those were, I think I did a couple things like that, but it was something where I wrote it in 2003 when I was desperate to just fill the space and then went back to it a couple years later. And I just went, I can't believe I wrote any of that stuff. What the right. hell's wrong with me? You know, so that is that those are the exact they're not exactly what your other guests have had. They have much more substantial examples of of, you know, purple prose and things like that. I don't have that, but it was just that was a big moment that over the course of the mid 2000s, I went, wait, there's a human being is potentially reading these things Hmm. and maybe not be such a snarky dick because you think it's funny. And luckily, I think I've I've learned from that mistake and I've not really repeated it. The one other example I will give of just terrible writing, just terrible writing, Jason, is I used to write a movie review column. And Tell me about yeah, that. For th- well, okay. Well, okay. I, I still do occasionally. There's a website called 13thdimension.com, and I do a column for them called Real Retro Cinema, where I review a movie, and it's a movie that has a comic book connection in some way, either 
it's derived from a comic book source or it was adapted into a comic book, something like that. And mm. there are some very, you know, some examples are very obvious. You can think like, you know, Superman 2, obviously. But sure. then there's like Jaws 2. You know, I, I reviewed Jaws 2 and then mm. talk about the Marvel comic book adaptation. Now, in between all those columns, I have written other reviews for 13th Dimension uh, for newer movies. And I don't do that anymore because it's, it's just not as interesting to me. But I... <laughs> I literally wrote this line about a movie. Sock it to me. This movie, <laughs> I wrote, this movie is a study in duality. I wrote that line. I wrote that horrible, pretentious line. And what's made worse that I wrote that line is that all I meant was that the second half of the movie is better than the first part. <laughs> so incredibly pretentious way of saying, you know, the second half better than the first half. And what cinematic piece of Fellini was I getting that purple over star Wars rogue one. <laughs> I can't, when I think about that, that line is out there on a website. I just, I, I just want to shake my head because it is. So what is the matter with you? But and like I was in my forties when I wrote that, Jason. I mean, that's horrible. That's not it's, yeah, early that's shit. That's early just shit. shit. That's that's just writers read their shit. That's what this is. <laughs> it's writers are shit. Yeah, yeah. I can just imagine terrible. sitting back. Uh, <laughs> so bad. It's so your bad. Stretch. Mm. Ah, Study of a cigar. Well done, Rob. Take the rest of well, the day off, Rob. I don't know if this will make you feel better. Probably not, but. In an essay I wrote for college, I was doing a, a course on Lawrence Durrell, the Alexandria Quartet, which is a very pretentious, you know, quartet and a <laughs> very pretentious course. Yeah, you know, I thought, okay. I described some, I wrote an essay for this course, describes, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore, but the phrase, a cerebral sandwich was included. <laughs> I think I just handed it in, got my mark, you know, threw it on my couch, didn't think anything of it. <laughs> my brother picked it up, read it, said, cerebral sandwich? Did you call <laughs> the Alexandria Quartet a cerebral sandwich? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's a study in duality also. Oh, I, it's so, I'm, oh I'm, my <laughs> God. It's so embarrassing. It's so, it's like, I mean, if I wanted to, I could go to the editor and, and, and have him, you know, take it down and put up a new version, but I'm not going to bother at this point. No. Who cares? But just like, just such a, like, oh, that's pathetic that it, the, you could just write the second half is much better than the first half. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. a, it's not a study yeah. duality. It's yeah. not. Yeah. When you got a deadline looming. You say yeah, some crazy you better, shit. Better pound it out. Yeah. Yeah. But that sounds smart. Duality. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> That's the worst. It's it's what a dumb person's version of what a smart person is. Yes. Yeah. That's what that is. I heard I heard Newt Gingrich <laughs> described that way once. Someone said he's a he's a he's what a dumb person thinks a smart person is. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Yeah. That's about right. That's about right. You've already talked about how you've gotten into trouble uh, by writing. Some, oh, some Lord. things. Uh, do you get into trouble with people? Do you do you incite fan outrage with Pod Dylan with what you say about 
Dylan songs on your podcast? Uh, um, not a lot. I mean, I think I think the the whole mission of the show, um, because this is how I I view it. It's uh, we're not for people who haven't listened to the show. It's not about what the song is about in all caps, because that indicates there is one correct meaning. And even Bob Dylan would say there is no one in, there is no one correct meaning. It is what you think it's about. What does it mean to you? And so when I have my guest on, and most guests are just regular f- fans like me, what I want to know is how did they become a fan? That to me is instructive. Hmm. But also, what does this song mean to you? That's, and so therefore, that can't be wrong. Now, obviously, there were limits to that interpretation. It's like those people that are like, you know, the horrible racist people that love Star Trek. You're clearly getting it wrong. Like You're clearly <laughs> not understanding this at all. And there are super hard right wing Bob Dylan fans, and I just don't know what they're hearing. You know, I just don't get it. But that's a topic for another day. It, it, well, maybe not ever. But like, why am I doing? Why did I even start Bob Dylan? Because I love talking about things that I love. And I lo- there's nothing more I love than the Bob Dylan songbook. There just isn't. There, there is no artifact of entertainment that I love more than that. If I had to strip it all away, what, would I, what could I get rid of? What couldn't I? And it would be the idea of never hearing Bob Dylan again would be so profoundly sad, even though I know it all by heart. Mm. But just never being able to put those songs on again would be so sad. And so I'm like, I want to talk about it. And I'm like, oh, I don't just want to do monologues because that's boring i want to meet new people and i've met people like you through the show that i consider friends now and that's i my podcast has 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 expanded my life in terms i have people in my life now that i would not have and like that's an amazing thing so yeah i there is the difference between yeah do i want to would i want to go see a talk by someone who has no credentials and knows not you know no but for a 45 minute podcast talking about wiggle wiggle, that's fine. We could, yeah. do, you know, we could do that. Yeah. Well, just to tie that back into this podcast, could you talk a little bit about, although I hate the, the expression, your process, <laughs> you know, sort of behind or for or both each episode, you know, sort of how you, well, you can go back as far as you want, actually. Do you have any little weird superstitious rituals that you that you go through before you record? And then how how that's changed since the beginning? Mm. Uh, well, okay. I mean, there's some of the, the I kind of keep I have sort of the same approach to all the shows. So, but we'll just talk about Pod Dylan in this okay. context. Like, I I am superstitious, and I never ever tell people that I will have a guest on until it's recorded. Never. Because that is almost surely the way to put the whammy on yourself, that something will happen to that guest. You know, they'll cancel, the recording won't go right. Uh, I and and not everybody does that. I've I've done things with people where we've hashed out an idea, and then a minute later they're like, "Hey, we're gonna do Liberty Blue," and I'm like, "Why would you say that? Because we don't know that we're gonna do it." You know what I mean? So that I never and. You know, there's arguments to be made about the marketing of that, that it's like, well, it's better to like build and, you know, build anticipation. Right. But I don't like to do that. I like to just, you know, until it's actually recorded. And even then, and not even then, I open the audio file and I listen to it. Okay. It's good. You know, then, then I can do it. Were you so like that's, that from the start? Almost always. Yeah. 
because it's it's there's that thing about um I, I've heard this from people. Uh, my friend Corey Drew, who's been on Pot Dylan many times, uh, has talked about this. Where he said he read something about that like like if you want to like lose weight, people love to announce it first before they start doing it. And he goes like statistics have shown that if you do that, you will not do it because what you crave is the dopamine hit of the reward for saying you're going to do it. Yeah. I'm superstitious about that. I never, ever announce guests until that the thing is absolutely locked down. Um, in terms of prep, I mean, I, like I said, I mentioned, I let the guest pick the song. Uh, I put, I, I put my thumb on the scale a little bit about something. Like I said, if somebody says, Oh, I want to do something from infidels. And it's like, well, we just did infidels an episode ago. I don't want to do mm. two. Inf-, you know, I try and space it out a little bit. I don't worry that much about it, but you know, I'm trying to bounce. I'm like, let's do sixties and then nineties and then seventies and then two thousands or whatever. And that gets harder to do as some errors are more requested than others. Right. But I, I go through the song and I jot down. I don't, I don't need to jot down what it means to me because I already know that's all in my head, but I will go through the lyrics and say, is there something I might've missed on the first pass or is there some alternate? And then I will listen to alternate versions. If such exist, there almost always are with Bob, mm-hmm. whether it's live versions or uh, you know, just alternate takes of it. And then if there's alternate lyrics, I go definitely go pull those. Cause I always think that's worth discussing. Why would you take that out and put that line in versus this or that? But, you know, no, I really kind of just leave the space open for the guests to say, all right, you bring it. You wanted to talk about this song. What is it that you want to talk about? And I try and be as honest as possible as much as you can in sort of this contrived context of being on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 Me and my partner, uh, Shag, who formed the network, we started together with just one show. We talk about like we're honest on air, but it's a on air, honest version. You know what I mean? It's like, there's some things I'm not bringing up and you'll never know it. Cause I'm not bringing them up. Right. I don't, I don't like doing that whole, well, there's a story I could, t-. there's one podcaster. <laughs> I know that loves doing that. Who does like, well, you know, there's a story I could tell about Liberty do, but I won't bring that up. Like plenty. What is that? <laughs> don't bring it up. You know what I mean? Like, don't be cute. Just sure. don't bring it up. You know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, there's names I leave out here and there or stuff like that, but I try and be as honest about, my life experiences because I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile. I mean, that's it, what connects us all is the, yeah. the love of the work and yeah. you know, so, but that's, yeah, that's really kind of it. It's not, I don't do a whole ton of prep. Like I said, I, I don't think finding the reference in every down to the last word is just, it just doesn't have a whole lot of meaning to me. It's just mm. like, okay, great. You found that he, that's the line from Shakespeare. Okay, great. That's fun to know. But it doesn't does it in, does it inform my knowledge or feeling of the song in any real way? Not really. So fine, mm. you know. How long have you been doing Pod Dylan? Six years. Oh six, yeah, wow, six years. I think the first one's twenty sixteen. So yeah, because wow. I love that question. You know, where you say if you could sit in on a on a Dylan session, <laughs> you know, album right. session, if you could fly back in time and talk to young younger Rob Kelly six years ago. <laughs> I was not young and whisper in his ear some advice about the podcast. What would you say to wow? Not, not young Rob Kelly, but uh, less than old now. Rob Kelly. Less um, old, yeah. The advice I would give him, I think I would, huh? I would probably have put more effort into 
I guess this is such a this is such a kind of pedantic answer, but it is what it is. I, I think I would have done. It's a study in duality, Jason, is what yes. I'm saying. No, uh, I <laughs> no, I think I would have made more effort to market it better. I think I just kind of was like, all right, I just put it out. And if it gets an audience, it does. And if not, if not. And I, I feel like. I mean, I don't have any illusions that what I'm doing is in any way adding to the edifice of the legend of this man, because this legend is so huge that I am an infinitesimal speck. But I wish that I had maybe taken it a little more seriously, if that's really the right term, uh, in the beginning. Then I, then I, now I, you know, I wish, like, I enjoy getting to talk to certain people i don't know if that really makes any sense i think i just i think in my first couple of dozen episodes i was very casual about it and i think i would probably maybe make a little more effort to say you know what let's put this in front of people that might really appreciate it that might really want to hear it because i get frustrated when there are people who are like you know oh i love bob dylan podcasts and then someone will say have you heard bob dylan and they're like no i've never heard of it and i'm like I've done 215 shows. I've been doing it for six years. You've never heard of it. That's my, and that means that's my fault. That's not their fault. That's my fault because you know, it's, yeah. it's out there, but obviously it's not getting in front of certain people. I, yeah. I'll look, I don't, I don't, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm complaining about it. I mean, in this world where we are just inundated with content, I mean, just over, it's a torrent. It's a, it's a, it's a wave that could drown the whole world. Yes. That, the fact that anybody takes time out of their day to listen to what I'm doing is, is great. That mm. is, I'm very fortunate that even 50 people, 50 people, put them in a room. That's a lot of people. You know, if you put them in a room, you're like, oh, yeah. that's a lot of people. The fact that that many people even listen to what I'm doing, talk, whether it's talking about old Super Friends comics or yeah. talking about MASH, you know, a show that's been off the air for 35 years, is I'm very, very fortunate so i never want to i always want to take it seriously and and this is the advice i give to podcasters that that come to me and say you know what what, what do you have any advice for me i always say you're so lucky if anybody listens to what you're doing so mm. take them respect them by by treating the show like it's a real thing and when i say that is like start a, if you want to start a show start it with whatever schedule you think you can hack once a month once every three months, once a mm. week, whatever it is, but then stick to that. Right. You know, you, no one is making you create a schedule. You, this is your own thing, but you're honoring your audience by delivering what you promise you're going to deliver them. I really can't stand when people are like, it's kind of back to that thing about the dopamine hit. There are people who love announcing shows. They love it. I'm going to do a show about this. And then this it never is going happens. It's going to be great. Star Wars versus Kiss. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm going to do an issue by issue review of whatever. And then they do one episode and then they do half an episode and then it just fades away. And that to I'm going to do Mastin Anonymous a second minute by minute. At a time. <laughs> yeah, second at a time. Exactly. You know, Minute and Anonymous. That's the new show coming out. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so, and I'm very proud of the fact that I have always hit my schedule, like always. I Pod Dylan, I come Pod Dylan comes out every week. Come rain or come shine. I mean, I am banking episodes, so we will come out regularly while I'm on my honeymoon. 
that's how much I take it seriously because my audience likes to hear it every week. And I get nice emails from people who say, you know, there's a lot of bad news out there, but I enjoyed for an hour just listening to you talk about, you know, union sundown. And that is, that's, that's not a nothing thing. That's a really nice thing. And so I try and take it serious. So some of my shows are monthly. Some shows are whenever we get around to it, but I always try and at least feel like I'm taking the audience I'm treating them with respect by saying, I'm going to deliver it when I say I'm going to deliver it. And maybe something happened. I mean, you know, things happen in life. But generally, I try and make sure that I got a bad review. I'll tell you, Jason, from one of my other shows, I take, I'll tell you, MASHCAST. I take big time. I take space between seasons. And I actually got a one-star review on Apple Podcasts from someone who says, I love the show, but he takes too damn long between seasons one star. (laughs) One like, star. what a weird review that is. Yeah. I love the show and you don't do it enough. So F you like, <laughs> yeah, I thought, well, that's a very curious. That's a real that's a real kind of uh, un- until the morale improves, the beatings will continue kind of review. But, you know, I at the same time, like, well, the guy is saying he loves the show. In fact, he loves it so much that when I'm not when I don't do it, he's mad. Yeah. You know, so, OK, it's a weird backhanded compliment. So, OK, get it together. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy the show. I think it's a great, I thought it was a great idea when you told me about it long before you ever launched it. And it's actually even better than I thought what you ended up pitching. You know, I was like, I was a neat idea, but then the reality of it is great. And I've really enjoyed these conversations. Some of the stuff your guests have said have stuck with me. Uh, you know, I, the, <laughs> the one guest, I forget her name. I'm sorry. But the one guest who talked about childhood and said we were atheists but we went to a Catholic school because the busing was better. It's, yeah. it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's, it's everything about yeah. like the way humans operate, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then the other guy, the other, um, excuse me, no, the other, you had another guest who said she was propositioned by a guy who said, come over to have sex between four and four 30. <laughs> like <laughs> that's a baller move, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, I would love to have that kind of confidence to go through life saying to someone i want to have sex with you but just between these very narrow constraints i i don't want to miss he-man and the masters of the universe at 4 30 so we could get this wrapped up by 4 30 that would be great um so i thoroughly enjoy the show and like i i said i don't feel qualified to even have been on here because i am not a writer but i appreciate you stretching the format to include uh, someone like me so thank you so much oh cheers man and the the repeated peaks behind the curtain of podcasting i think were very useful and interesting. So thank you. Thank you very much, my friend. Many thanks to Rob Kelly. That was a real pleasure. Make sure you check out his various podcasts at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Thanks also to Joe MD for help with the intro, Wayne MD for the artwork, and DJ Max in Tokyo. For the music. If you'd like to support the show, there are a couple ways you can do that. One is to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It's a small thing, but it does help a lot. The other way is to buy me a virtual coffee. Link in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It's great to be back. Uh, just so you know, It'll be every three weeks. New episodes will come out every three weeks now instead of every two weeks. But a lot of cool guests coming up 
very soon. Thank you very much wherever you are for listening. Back in three weeks.